0: Richard Butler presents lifestyle, real estate, and investment opportunities, the booming South Pacific, opportunities south of the equator. Learn about the unique and voted happiest country in the world, the tax-friendly nation of Vanuatu. This is the Real Estate Opportunity and Lifestyles of the South Pacific podcast, a podcast about personal opportunity and financial prosperity. I'm Lance Hunt from Melanesian Waterfront Real Estate Limited and living in the South Pacific Pacific paradise island nation of Vanuatu. I have with me online today two gentlemen, Richard Butler in Sydney in Australia. Richard was two times trade commissioner to Australia for the Republic of Vanuatu and a successful real estate developer with more than 40 years experience and I'll let Richard introduce our special guest from New Zealand. Hello Richard.
1: Thanks Lance and yeah well look I'm really quite excited about this because uh I have Dr. Ian Yeoman waiting to start talking with us. It's a very, very special guest and I appreciate his time. He's currently a professor at Wellington University and he wrote a book that I came across predicting tourism, uh, the future tourism that he's written. And he actually told me just a couple of weeks ago that he's working on a follow-up. But one of the things that really attracted me to, to contact Ian and ask him to come on to our podcast is that he's uh, he's probably the world's if not the world's, one of the leading futurologists as far as tourism is concerned. He covers a very, very wide platform, including ecotourism and uh, sustainable tourism and food tourism and you name it. He's basically up there with the top. But one of his predictions his book was that in 2050, there'll be 4.7 billion of people flying around the world. Nearly 50% of the world's population will be taking international holidays. And because we promote Vanuatu all the time, obviously, this is the guy that we should be talking to. And we're down to only 6.5. I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the plane or in the room. We're talking about coronavirus, of course, has basically put the uh, the lockdown on Vanuatu and put the lockdown on Australia and New Zealand. But we are, I think, coming out the other side with this thing called the Pacific Bubble. Just yesterday, we only had about 10 cases in total in Australia or 6.5 cases in Victoria, which has been in complete lockdown for longer than anywhere else in the world. And being in real estate for over 40 years, you've got to be a bit of visionary when you're doing any forms of development. So this is why I gravitated towards asking Vesi Oman to come on and talk about the future of tourism also in the South Pacific and worldwide. So, Ian, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us your time this morning. You're in Wellington at the moment. I'm in Sydney and Lance is in Vanuatu. So that gives you an idea of how we've all become Zoom experts in the last five,
2: six, eight months, isn't it? Yes, and Kiora. Kiora, exactly. Yeah, Kiora. Um, it's good morning from New Zealand, and it's a very sunny day here on the Kapiti coast, which is about an hour's drive north of our capital city, Wellington. It's a lovely day.
1: And Ian, you've been all around the world. You started off in Scotland, I think, was
2: uh, Hello Scotland was one of the things that you worked with before you went yeah. down to Wellington. Well, that's right. I think I, I got interested in future studies. Um, I was doing a PhD. I was studying for a PhD in, in systems thinking and futures work while I was at, uh, at Nipper University in Edinburgh. And this was around 2001. And in 2001 was 9-11. And also at the same time in Scotland, it was, we had an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. Yes, I remember that. You had two external environment events or disruptors on the floor of tourists coming. So with foot and mouth disease, there was a perception that rural Scotland was closed. And in fact, it wasn't, but there was a strong perception it wouldn't be. And I just remember Edvis of Scotland. We used to have Americans phoning up saying, um, is it safe to travel? Can I eat meat? Will I get foot and mouth disease? People were very nervous because it was a, a perceptual thing. And um, 9-11 changed markets and how people felt about travel. Because the the big knock-on effect from 9-11 was basically the United States said to the world, if you want to come to us, you have to prove who you are. So it was basically the introduction of the biometric passport that, that kick-started everything. And once the United States said you need a biometric passport and prove who you are to come here, the world went with biometric passports. And it also imposed a lot more restrictions in the terms of visas uh, going through the world. So the world was conscious about safety and how the market were changing um, in the terms of that. But at the same time, around 2001, Scottish tourism changed. We saw a decline in the American market, but we saw rise, especially around the, the cities of Scotland, Edinburgh and Glasgow. They saw the rise of the budget carriers and a strong European short-haul market emerging, which changed the characteristics of who the typical tourist was that came to Scotland. Um, so Scotland was a benefit of 9-11 in the terms of tourism because of displacement. But there was a general consequence about understanding the external environment and what these disruptors were like, but also how some of the more longer term trends in society were shaping tourism. Because at the time, 2001, my chief executive at the time hummed and hawed about the seriousness of climate change. That was a debate within the organization, but also trends like demography, oil prices, how technologies were changing and the general shift from eyesight to a mobile society. All of these things came together. And there was a real need said we need to understand the future. We need to put it at the heart of the organization and that would drive strategy. So they created the post of scenario planner and I was that first appointment um, in that and we embedded that within the organization to focus on scenarios for looking at measuring decisions through economic modeling um, and also understanding the external environment in the terms of the trends and the drivers and the disruptors. So we did a lot of work around big picture. We also did micro work around how would food tourism change? who was the food tourist, how would climate change impact upon Scottish tourism in the terms of landscapes and seasonality. We did a whole range of different things, and it was a very exciting time. So I was there for eight years, and then I made the decision to move on. I decided to emigrate to New Zealand, and I was here for two years, and I decided, okay, I'm quite happy here, and I got married. I want to get married. Life moves on, and I'm now a New Zealand citizen, and I do a lot of work and writing consultancy um, internationally um, around the future of tourism and, and, and different products and experiences so I'm involved with New Zealand at the moment some work in Norway and some work in the Netherlands um, so there's a lot you are going to when... be
1: going to Vanuatu too you mentioned to me in our last conversation Yeah you... we do
2: because uh, Victoria University and one of my colleagues Professor Mondasali, is doing some work with the French government about higher education provision within the island uh, about a professional workforce and a university degree and diploma in hospitality and tourism management so Victoria has been involved with that and the in terms of an education perspective, but I've never been. I'll be straight with you. I've never been to Vanuatu. I've never been. There's parts of New Zealand I haven't been to either. In will have the to land.
1: roll out the red carpet for you when you. Oh, like I was invited.
2: I remember being invited to Vanuatu in 2004 and I can't the invitation would you like to come along to a conference about the future of tourism but basically they said fly in the night before and leave like come here for 24 hours and I thought if you're going to come to Vanuatu Vanuatu, it's a place where you escape from the hustle and bustle it's an island that's slow it's an island where you switch off and just enjoy the world go by and I wouldn't have enjoyed the island and it's people and culture
1: our average stay just some figures for you that I happen to know is the average stay for our tour Tourism is 12 days. The 65% of our tourists actually return for a second and third stay. Mainly most of our tourists come from Australia and New Zealand. Of course, almost 90% come from Australia and New Zealand because that's where the planes leave from. But with our new upgraded tarmac and our new plane arriving in November, which is an Airbus 22300, we now have the capability of long-haul planes starting to come into Vanuatu. But there's been some interesting figures that I've managed to get out over since we last spoke, in. is that first of all, we've got our first New Zealand plane landed last Friday. Mm-hmm in Sydney, which is the beginning of the opening up of the Pacific bubble, for want of a better way of ex- for describing it. But I found some interesting figures that in New Zealand in 2017, I think it was, 2,900,000 international travellers left New Zealand. and Australia, 4.7 million for the same period of time. So around about 7.5 million collective Australian and New Zealand Anzacs travelled the world or traversed the world on both business and holiday destinations. Now obviously these people haven't been able to travel internationally. I don't see them flying into Europe or the Americas for at least 12 months or longer so obviously if we open up this bubble we're probably going to see quite a substantial amount of tourism coming into the South Pacific Islands, Fiji Vanuatu, Solomons perhaps Cook Islands but I can see that there's going to be quite a
2: demand for seats on planes when they do start flying in the South Pacific. I think you're quite right. You've raised a number of things there. And I think, let me just take the New Zealand perspective, first of all. I think that 2 million outbound Kiwis who are not going to take an international holiday this year, I think this is probably the first year because of that lockdown. um the news We're coming into the summer season now, December till February here in New Zealand. And this is the first time where domestic tourism has seen a strong resonance. It's forecasted to rise by 50% in, um, this year. And that's basically People taking a serious holiday exploring New Zealand this year, um, exploring the South Island, but also a lot of violence and in Northland. So New Zealand tourism domestic market has um, seen a strong, especially this season coming up, we'll see a strong rebound in growth of that. And I think the next issue is where we are with travel in the terms of where the bubbles go. The first, if we look at New Zealand, let's take New Zealand first. I think I call New Zealand at the moment in the South Pacific, we're in a bubble. And when I write scenarios, I I talk about fiction a lot. And I talk about New Zealand as a colony and COVID-19's out there in the rest of the world. We're safe in our country. We're safe in Vanuatu, Fiji and all our Pacific Island countries because we're trying to keep this disease we're in this cocoon and the issues around it's about safety because one of the issues we've seen when the bubble opened up between Sydney Oh, New South Wales and New Zealand was that plane took off. 90% of those people were going back home, but it was supposed to be restrictions around New South Wales and the Northern Territories, but you saw a distribution of tourists going further into Melbourne, across to Adelaide and across to Perth, and that broke that regulation. Um, people didn't go into self-isolation and a whole range of things. So the range of bubbles were very cagey about taking forward going. and going. The advantages of having a bubbles between um key issue about the bubbles in to Cook Island, specifically for, for Kiwis and Vanuatu and Fiji is the biggest issue is your islands are COVID-19 fundamentally free but you have the issue about healthcare and what the, the, the impact would be if Kiwis brought um, the disease the influenza into the island the South Pacific Islands will be the first islands to open up and opening up in the terms of travel bubbles will probably come from New Zealand first rather than Australia um, of, of where we are because of the issues of safety and then I think Australia will follow and that's really important because I've done four scenarios one that I've talked about the scenario of cocoon it's out there we're trying to keep it a bay so it's been the about the, the strength of the domestic market the other three scenarios that are out there in the terms of growth and getting back to normal there's one scenario about responsible tourism and people when they've been in lockdown and destinations that put a heavy focus on what do we want the future to look like because in lockdown there's been a very focus on people and communities and looking after each other so we say to ourselves what what should tourism look like? What's the good picture about tourism in the terms of doing that? The other model is about recovery because responsible tourism, inevitably, has a degree of sacrifice, and because there will be regulation around from a climate change perspective and what the cost is. The, the other trend that we're talking about is you've been in lockdown and you, you're really frustrated, and um, you haven't been able to party. You want to reconnect with your family and friends. You want to get out on the beach and do some. So I've got another story which I call Crazy Rich based upon the film where people are really frustrated and they want to hit the beach. As so soon as that bubble opens and we deem it safe... Specifically New Zealand to the Cook Islands and New Zealand to Vanuatu, you could see tremendous growth. You could go from, from zero to hundred percent growth overnight, um, in the terms of, of coming back. Because the good thing about Vanuatu is you're not Disneyland, um, you're not Paris, you're not in New York. You're a small island with a capacity constraint. You don't want, you do not want the world to come to Vanuatu, but you do want Kiwis to come or you do want Australians to come in the terms of that significant market because Australians, the Pacific Islands will be the first To reopen compared to the other islands. Vanuatu, if you look at outbound travel from Australia, where they fundamentally have gone, the key island has been Bali, Indonesia. That's very porous in the terms of COVID-19 and a lot more restrictions. They won't be going to Thailand. So Vanuatu is the safer option. So you'll see a renaissance to that. So the key issue for you actually is can you cope with this growth? If we all want to come, what do you do? So you'll be in the you'll be in the advantage where you won't be a low value destination. Destination, you'll actually be a high value destination because there'll be li- limits to where people can go and what they can do. So you'll actually be able to charge that higher price for accommodation and you'll be able to introduce premium products. Um, for that market because they will have the money to spend in order to do that so there'll be a a certain amount of repackaging in Vanuatu to talk about luxury and luxury is not about five-star resort luxury can be everything from it's time and isolation and bars and meditation and food so you've got the opportunity there um, for luxury and also with luxury able to get the good prices in the high high season but you'll also be able to push that into the shoulder season and into the low season depending where COVID-19 goes So for your island, it's ensuring safety in the terms, it's ensuring safety and containment.
1: It's almost like zero to hero when it starts. That's what's going to happen. And one of the other things I can inform you that just this last week, the government was inspecting all the facilities at the hospital in case for any cases of COVID. So they've actually got a preparation plan that if they do have somebody come in with COVID or COVID does arrive, they have got a ward fully set up, IC and all that sort of stuff to manage any people. But I would say that, I would say that my concept at this point of time, from knowledge that I have, meeting with uh, the ambassador, to Australia two weeks ago that Darwin, for example, Northern Territory, it's only had 33 cases of COVID in the whole period of time. And last week, Vanuatu sent 160 NIVAN workers to go and pick the fruit in Darwin in the mango season because they've lost all the backpackers. He told me, we have 5,800 seasonable workers now living in Australia doing all the fruit picking. And so obviously this new plane, which is arriving in November, I can see that they could be opening up, as you say, New Zealand more than likely first. And they've already said that to me, as a matter of fact, and perhaps maybe Darwin second and then maybe eventually Brisbane and eventually Sydney. So, yeah, it's an interesting time. There's From every low, there's a high. We're in recovery at this point of time. We've got to retarget, rethink, reconsider what the future is going to be. But with having 4G, 4 and 5G capability for internet, for iPhones and laptops to work, you can virtually come and have three months holiday in Vanuatu and run your business on the internet you can and um, i'm
2: not doubting that because i think um that goes to around that market about length of stay and long stay of, of where you are in what you do um i had a phd we had i have lots of colleagues have done that you know we had a i'll give you a typical example here of victoria um one of our colleagues in the terms of being a phd student he went on holiday to fiji and um, just before lo- lockdown couldn't get back so he was in a resort for six months and was able to work from fiji in the terms of study um so it you know, sounds like a hard life to me Someone has to do it, eh? Yeah, somebody has to do it, but it goes back to, the, I'm trying to think of the name of that. There's a concept in the literature, in the research literature about that person that's, it's that binary divide between pleasure and work, where you have to be. Um, and uh, one of the consequences of Zoom today is we're actually meeting less face to face. Yes. People are working more at home. Um, and this blend of leisure and work has, been, has become very intertwined in the terms of changing. The term that comes to mind is the term global nomad, global nomad, in the terms of, you know, it's that backpacker that person that travels with, with their laptop and um, in, in the satchel, shop um and where do they start and where and where do they stop because now with work the only physical barrier now is in the terms of change is probably about time zones um you know if you work in new york but you've based in vanuatu it's about what, what time of the day in the terms of work so we've seen this structural change we are seeing this structural change in the terms of tourism and consumer habits will change in the terms of where you are and it means very much for what does the destination look like um what are some of the, you know, the hygiene consider, you know, if you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of neta persberg's hygiene theory they become a lot more prominent um of where we go with very much consciousness now of the world around us and interaction and touch and um health and safety you, you as a person have probably um this year have probably used more hand sanitizer than aftershave Um that's right you know, yes if you know what i mean um yeah. and they that type of thing has become routine in the terms of its interaction and, and changing things and i think from a su- supply side business practices have to change in, in the terms of that so in the terms of regulation from a Vanuatu perspective because you know it's about risk and ethics it's make sure you, you do have legislation frameworks around hygiene and safety but it's about implementation and, and make sure that, that they're monitored and, and make sure they're happening and the other thing that's probably coming through now is purchasing decisions are changing the impulse purchase has moved to fundamentally gone a lot and we've moved away to more and more um not impulse buying but searching and going deeper so from a destination perspective, it's very important to have that information present on the web. Um, It's very important to be able to say what the products and experiences are. It's very important to tell what the story is and what your values are, because fundamentally, because of feet, because it's still, from a family perspective, um, it's still females that make the decisions about destination choice and where to stay. If you look at the research, um, female has different value systems from what a man does um, in terms of what's important to them. So they have a stronger resonance on uh, awareness of culture awareness of social issues um not that i'm saying anything against men and um, that comes through so well destinations are taking a more responsible approach to the future and where it's going and that doesn't mean you've got to implement carbon credits and go down the full hog of um climate change and impact because many all of the pacific islands fundamentally reliant on international aviation or, or people coming by board but it's about your behavior and your attitude towards the environment and how you carry it out it can range from very small things to very big things in the terms of doing things and i think it's important from a destination perspective about relationship for example between resorts and supplier and community and how they do it but the advantage of this change in this focus on the environment also means more community-based projects or more projects from a bottom-up approach can come through to the foray and be in partnership with with different peoples in the terms of relationship in the terms of that okay
1: look ian we're running out of time but I, i'd like to ask if i may just to talk about the book that you wrote which i it, it totally intrigues me as i've told you before which you can get on amazon it's uh, 2050 tomorrow's tourism and you're doing an update to it as you told me last week we yeah I'll last be next year well. yeah and uh, being in property development i go and look at a piece of land and i can sort of think well look i could put a resort there or land subdivision there or a factory there so I'm looking at that type of vision through pretty much corridor eyes. But when you're talking about tourism and the future and only 30 years time, it's such an amazing figure of, of the number of people who will be, you estimate will be traveling. And that basically means that robots are taking over, AI is taking over our life, reducing the amount of time that we have to work and producing more holiday time and then obviously we have to start traveling to fill in that time yes and the figures that you've got here is just quite remarkable i I was watching a program the other night which was on uh, the 747 when Mm -hmm. it was first rolled out and how we all used to get dressed up in suits and ladies would wear their best dresses to get on the plane to go for a flight and now the when they bought in the jumbo they obviously could reduce the price of tickets down and obviously then everybody could fly so the level of dress i've Notice has become more and more casual for flights now it's all sloppy joes and, and tracksuit pants to be comfortable in the plane rather than being all dressed up but it also means the multiples are flying so the average person or the the middle sector of the commercial world which is the growing especially in china where that's just got an amazing market coming out of there looking at asia south pacific islands your upgrading of that book what will you be adding to it? what's changed since you wrote the first
2: uh, part of well it? i think that this probably two things that have changed um well there's three things that have ch- there's three fundamental differences in this book i think this new book will highlight and push out a number of trends and um, make them a lot more explicit so three trends out i'm going to push out one i'm going to push out the concept of around demography and um, because from 2040 to 2050 we're going to see a more prominent aging population a very old population fundamentally in europe and, and what that means and you're going to have pensions and um, complete reform we've had complete perform of pensions market we have gone beyond the baby boomer so the impact on demography with an older population what that means for tourism and probably a less wealthy population in the terms of not just traveling so much but also with that so it's a blurry divide between aging population and the consequence of less young people and that the consequence on labor markets and hotel supply because basically in europe I think Ian dropped out, uh, but he's back. So what I was just saying was, I think the two three things that I promised is demography and change of age and structures, um, and that becomes a lot more important. Um, that will lead into some of the technological concepts that are coming through. The other concept is the technological singularity, which is the processing power of the computer. So if you go out to 2050, you can get very much into science fiction. You can think about concepts like iRobot, uh, if you've seen the film, or Inception, yes, yes. Uh, Blade Runner. Basically, think about technology and what we can do with them that haven't been imagined yet or haven't come to fruition but in 30 years time um, very much completely different and the other thing that will be we'll see more significant values is how climate change becomes a lot more prominent and the political decisions weren't there we've moved completely on from there now it's about what can we do about it and the movement towards that so the issue around sustainability technology and demography but at the same time some things will not change why we go on holiday is about relaxation switching on Reconnecting with family and friends, or doing some sort of activity. Human nature will not change in the value systems that are important to us. So the three types of holiday in 2050 will still be the three types of holiday for today, and the three main types of holiday will be um beach, romance, and family. There we go
1: well with that, Ian. We'll thank you for attending this, coming to this meeting today with us, this podcast. We certainly appreciate it, and I just want to give you a book a plug before we finish off, which is available on all Amazon booksellers 250 Tomorrow's Tourism by Ian Yeoman and the Tomorrow's Tourism and of course the new dated version will be out. well for, in about 12 months or something? Or
2: yeah, probably six six months. um right. probably about six. Months.
1: We look forward to reading that. And uh, if anybody wants to get hold of Ian, we can certainly pass on his phone numbers. They'll be on the podcast. His email address. So thank you very much, Ian. And, and we look forward to seeing you in Vanuatu in the very very near future.
2: And you. So I'm looking forward. I need that cold beer. Good on you. All the best. You. Okay. Thank you, Lance. Thank All you, right. Richard. Bye.
0: Right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and thank you particularly Professor Yama for your insights today. They've been very interesting uh, from the perspective of where things are going to go here in Vanuatu. So, listeners, thank you too, and that's a wrap for our podcast zero twenty nine.